Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us. Hello to those of you joining us on our online campus. Great to have you. And in our parent viewing rooms, that's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you uh, during the service. And uh, today we are kicking off a series called Help, I'm a Parent. And the reason we're doing this is because we're parents and we need help. And that's pretty much why. So we thought, man, there's a lot of other parents that could use some help as well. And uh, even if you don't have kids, I want you to know you're going to benefit from this series because all of us interact with kids on some level, whether you're a a teacher, a coach, an aunt, an uncle, uh, whether you just uh, are wanting to have kids at some point or you've already got kids or, uh, you know, all of us somewhere along the way interact with kids. I also want you to know we're going to learn some principles from the Bible that are going to be helpful, but... If you're like, well, I'm not really a Bible person. I'm not, really a, I'm not really even a church person. I just know I need some help with parenting. I want you to know you can take some of these principles and you can put some of these things into practice and it will still benefit your life. Uh, we just want you to know we're drawing from the scriptures. You can decide how much of that you put into practice in your own life, uh, in, in your own family. But we're just glad you're here. You don't have to believe everything that we believe in order to belong. And it's awesome to have you here checking it out for the first time, many of you for the first time, and just awesome to have you. Now, uh, I want to read one verse from the Psalms to kind of kick us off. Uh, This is a a Psalm that's written by a guy named King David. He's one of the kings of ancient Israel. And he writes these words, and I think it's pretty fitting. He says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. It's an interesting metaphor because I realize sometimes you want to take that arrow and shoot it into the next county. But ultimately, we recognize children are a gift from God. Uh, there's, there's no such thing as an accidental kid, right? Now, there's a lot of accidental parents, but there are no accidental kids. And how many of you, just quick show of hands, and if you're watching online uh, and you're streaming this with us, put an exclamation point in the chat uh, if this is you. How many of you have been parents for two years or less? Lift your hands nice and high. Anybody? Wow. A couple of you. Okay, right here. Suckers. Right on. (laughs) You have no idea what you're in for. All right. Uh, How many of you parents of teenagers? Lift your hands. Oh, lots of you. All right on. Yeah. Uh, You have never understood your kids less than you do right now. It's like they speak a different language. In fact, I love this quote from Mark Twain. Mark Twain said this, when a kid turns 12, you should keep him in a barrel and feed him through a knot hole. (laughs) And then when they turn 16, plug the knot hole. (laughs) Take it up with Mark Twain, all right? That's not me. I'm just the messenger. Uh, How many of you empty nesters? Empty nesters, all right, yeah. Just look at these guys. Look at them smiling. They're just so happy. Just like plastered on, right? Uh, Some of you are in that group as grandparents. Who's the grandparents in the house? All right, grandparents. You love it because uh, you send them back, right? You just sugar them up and send them on back to mom and dad. And you're like, I'm getting you back from when you were a kid. (laughs) And then uh, some of you find yourself in this kind of niche category of boomerang parents where you sent them out and then they came flying back to you. And now they live in your home again. And so we're glad you're here as well. Uh, My wife and I have been married for 23 years. We've got four kids. Uh, Our oldest is 19, just got married two months ago, Uh, a 19-year-old daughter. So now we have a son-in-law as well. And then uh, we have a 16-year-old daughter, a 14-year-old son, and an 8-year-old son. So I want you to know, this is not, hey, let me give you all of my incredible wisdom, all right? This is hey, guess what? I'm in the thick of this with you, and uh, we're going to learn some stuff together along the way. And over the years, I've had to change the tone of parenting talks. 
So, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I was an awesome parent before we had kids. I knew, I knew everything there was to know about parenting before we had kids. And so, like, you know, 20 years ago, I would give a talk on parenting, and I think the title was like, 10 Principles for Raising Amazing Kids. And then we had a kid. And then I was like, ah, seven suggestions for raising average kids. And then we had another kid, and then I was like, hey, five ideas that may or may not help, you know? And now it's just like, every man for themselves. Three tips for survival. I don't know if this is going to work or not, but we're going to give it a shot, you know? And here's the truth. There's just, there's a lot of dysfunction in any family. That's just the reality. Our family has some dysfunction. Your family has some dysfunction. And there's enough to make us frustrated. Sometimes in the parenting, uh, different seasons of parenting, you feel like you dropped the ball. You feel like a failure. And let me just tell you something this morning. You're not alone. You're not the only one who feels that way. I promise you. Uh, all you need to do is go on the internet. You can find lots of pictures of parenting fails. You can go back to shows that used to be on TV, right? Like Super Nanny or Nanny 911 and see some of the things that went on in some of those houses. You had like three-year-olds walking around carrying handguns and chain smoking. You're like, all right, my kid's not that, you know, we're not there. And you just realize we're all trying to figure this thing out. And part of the reason it's so difficult is because we're always chasing our kids from one season into the next, aren't we? And so it's like, all right, all right, I got this toddler thing figured out. And it's like, nope, they're in preschool now. Like, okay, I got preschool figured out. Nope, now they're in first grade. Now they're, now they're in grade school. Now they're in middle school. Now they're in high school. Now they're in college. And as soon as you get one season, you feel like, okay, I think I got a handle on this. Then they change and they're in a new season. So you're always playing catch up all the time. Another reason is tough is because every kid is so different. Different personalities, different uh, sense of humor, different character traits, different talents, different quirks, uh, different likes and dislikes. And you can raise all your kids the exact same way. And then they all come out completely different. It's unbelievable. And then on top of that, there's this ongoing reality that every generation faces a new set of challenges. The things that my kids are facing are things that we never had to deal with when I was growing up. When I was growing up, I know like, you know, we never even had car seats when I was growing up. Like, I think my car seat was like a phone book and a piece of rope, you know, so we didn't fly out of the car. Now it's like safety, safety, safety. I remember uh, growing up, we have a trampoline at our house and it has nets all the way around it, like so kids don't fall out. We never had that. It was like, dude, you fall off the trampoline. I mean, don't be an idiot, you know? <laughs> and I remember like jumping on a trampoline and falling off and like landing with one leg on either side of the springs. And my friends didn't even stop jumping. They're just like, hope you're okay. <laughs> my dad's like, walk it off, you know? It's amazing, but today kids face a whole new set of challenges with social media and all kinds of pressure from all kinds of uh, different fronts. And so we believe children are a gift from God. We really believe that. But at the same time, parenting is such an enormous responsibility that oftentimes we just feel like, man, how do I do this? And so the question becomes, how do we navigate being a parent in a way that's best for our kids, that helps our kids grow to become healthy, you know, productive members of society, but doesn't like kill us in the process? And so here are some things that I want to help us understand when it comes to parenting. The first one is this. Your role is not to protect your kids, it's to prepare them. Your role as a parent is not primarily to protect your kids. And primarily, that's our instinct as parents, is to want to protect our kids. We don't want them to experience rejection. We don't want them to experience pain. We don't want them to be on any losing teams. We don't want them to experience anything that could, like, we feel cause them heartache. 
But primarily, my role as a parent, your role as a parent, is not to protect your kids from life. Your job as a parent is to prepare them for life. And ultimately, if you decide to parent from a place of, I want to protect them from life, you end up making some really bad decisions, some poor parenting decisions that are based on fear, and you miss what is in the best long-term interest of your kids. And parenting is all about sacrificing for the long-term best interest of your children. Protecting them from life is all about what's in the short-term best interest of my emotions. I don't want to experience the emotion of seeing my kid experience pain, so I'm going to protect them from that. But ultimately, that doesn't prepare them for life. And our goal is to be a reflection of who God is in their life and point them in the right direction. We cannot protect them from everything in their life. We must prepare them for life. And so to do that, here's one of the things that we've got to understand. Your top priority as a parent is to retain influence. This is, this is your number one job as a parent as it relates to, okay, how do I help my kids grow and, and become everything God's created them to be? You retain influence in their lives. And here's why. As your children grow, as they get older and older and older, the control that you're able to exert over them becomes less and less. So think about this. My 14-year-old son is, uh, this is a constant battle with us right now. He is, um, he just turned 14 in May and he is right there about to pass me in height. I mean, he's right there. He's not there yet. And so I'm Googling like lifts for my shoes. I just, I want to, I want to delay this as far, as far as possible, but uh, he's right there. Now think about this. 14 years ago, I could pick him up and put him in a car seat. I had a lot of control. Now, I think he could pick me up and put me in a car seat, you know, like, <laughs> I don't have control. I cannot physically make him do. I don't, I don't possess that level of authority or control anymore in his life. And so what do I have to do as a parent? I have to leverage influence. And retain influence is so important, and here's why. The older your kids get, the more critical your influence becomes in their lives. Because the times in their life where they actually need your influence the most is when their decisions carry the most weight, and the consequences of their decisions carry the most weight. The decisions they're making when they're two, three, four years old, they don't carry a lot of the consequences of those decisions, don't carry a ton of weight into adulthood for them. But the decisions that your kids are making when they're 14, 15, 16, 17, those decisions have the potential to follow them into adulthood and shape who they're becoming. And they face the weight of those consequences. And that's when they need your influence the most. And it's also when we have the least amount of control. So they need your influence. They need your influence when they're choosing who and how to date. They need your influence when they're trying to figure out uh, the pressures of sexuality. They need your influence when they're choosing a career path, when they're choosing uh, who to marry and how to do marriage. They need your influence when they're dealing with issues of ethics and integrity. They need your influence when they're trying to figure out how do I respond in certain situations. That's when they need your influence. And what we must consider as parents is that compliance is not the same as influence. You can exert your size and position. I'm dad, you do what I say or else. I'm mom, you better do what I say or else. You can exert that and you can get them to comply, but compliance is not the same as influence. You might get them to do what you ask them to do, but at what cost? And, and to make you, you might lose influence in the process because at the end of the day, what you want is to be able to influence their decisions so that they trust you. They come back to you and say, how do I handle this? How do we do this? How do we navigate that? 
There's a guy named Paul who lived in the first century. He's a follower of Jesus, and he traveled around the Roman Empire to start churches. And then he would write letters back to these churches and, and give them instructions on how to live out the way of Jesus and give them wisdom as it pertains to their different relationships. So he's writing to this group of people in the city of Ephesus. Uh, in, your, in your Bible, if you have a Bible, that's called Ephesians, because these are the people that lived in Ephesus, the Ephesians. And so he writes to them and says, here's how you handle marriage. Here's how you handle parenting. Here's how you handle uh, work relationships. And he goes through all these things. And one of the things he says that he writes about parenting is this. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Don't provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. It's possible that you can exert control in the life of your kids to the point where they comply with your wishes, but you lose influence in the process. It's possible that they did what they asked you, they they did what you asked them to do, but they can't wait to move out. And you were right as a parent. You were in the right, and you can be in the right so much and leverage that that you can write them right out the door, and you lose relationship. And at the end of the day, that is not what you want. So you have to ask yourself, how much is momentary compliance worth relationally? Is this battle worth it, or is there a better way? And so this is where it's helpful for us to understand where our kids are at. To understand how influence works in the lives of our kids, we should understand what stage our kids are at. There's a reason that my 19-year-old drives a car and my 8-year-old doesn't. For obvious reasons, right? I love all my kids the same, but I don't treat them the same. Because they're in different stages of life and they have different personalities and they're different people. And at the end of the day, my goal isn't to be the most fair parent around. My goal is to prepare them for life. And that requires different parenting for different kids in different phases of life. So let's walk through this together. I actually want to give you a picture to help you understand this. There's really four big stages of parenting, and there's different ages that these parenting uh, stages occur in. Uh, So zero to three years old, you're pretty much like a nurse, right? You're trying to keep them alive. And you're basically just feeding them, clothing them, like, you know, keeping them them alive, waking up in the middle of the night. And you have these uh, uh, different levels of authority and friendship. And when you are in this nurse stage, and I got to tell you, uh, moms love this stage. They're just like, oh my gosh, this baby is so cute. I just want to smell him and cuddle him. And dads are like, he doesn't talk. How can I connect with this kid? You know, like come back to me when you're three, you know? And that's pretty typical. But here's why. Authority and friendship, very low in this stage of life. You're just, you're the nurse. This is a nurse phase. You're just, you're feeding them, you're clothing them, you're keeping them alive. And so there's very little authority because you don't need a lot of authority. You you have complete control. And there's very little friendship because your kid's not at an age yet where they can uh, think critically and, 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 and have conversation. And then what happens is as they start to develop language skills, you know, three to 12 years old, this is where you're operating as the king or the queen. And you've got to understand this because uh, this is the season of life where you're setting boundaries, where you're you're creating the guidelines. You're helping them understand how life works. And it's important that you actually lean into authority. So during this season, your authority actually goes up. Your friendship goes up a little, but your authority goes way up during this season. And here's why. These little people that you made are always trying to usurp the kingdom. (laughs) Okay? Because they're little sinners. All right? And... They're trying to push the boundaries. They're trying to see how far they can go. And that's when you got to go, no, this is what it looks like to operate. And here's why that matters. Because you're helping them understand during this season, hey, 
These are the consequences. So if you do this, this is what happens. You're helping them connect the dots between the choices I make and the consequences that I face. That's wisdom. They're understanding cause and effect. And you do that by making sure that you're an authority and they're not. I've, I've read some psychology over the years that says, you know, great parenting, you should never say no to your kids. Can I just tell you something? In all honesty, that's stupid. <laughs> I just, of course you say no to your kids. Sometimes you have to say no because you're in charge. It's your kingdom. It's not theirs. All right? But here's what happens. Something happens after they reach a certain age, 12, 13 years old. In this stage, everything's black and white. But then they start to think critically. They start to see that there's nuance to things, that everything's not black and white. They start to, they start to think abstractly. And your influence, uh, your uh, authority rather, goes way down and your friendship should start to go up. During the years of 12 to 18, you're the coach. And here's what that means. That means that you're more on the sidelines kind of encouraging them and shouting out some instructions every once in a while, but they're in the field of play. They're the ones out there. They're the ones making the decision in real time. And sometimes they call an audible And then afterwards, you get to watch the game film and you get to talk about it and go, hey, why'd you do that? Why'd you make this decision? What happened here? But your goal at that point is not to exert your authority. You've already done that. Your goal at that point is to lessen authority and to lean into friendship. Because here's the ultimate goal is that once they turn 18, you guess what? Your authority goes away completely. It's gone. You have no authority. I have zero authority in the life of my 19-year-old. I have, there's nothing I can do to her and say to her that says, hey, I'm your dad, you better. Zero authority. Now it's all friendship. It's all relationship. And if I don't leverage relationship and friendship, if instead I try to leverage authority, it actually erodes relationship. And see, this is so important for us to understand uh, that one of the biggest goals my wife and I have is we want our kids to want to be a part of our family when they no longer have to be. We want them to want to be around each other and us when they're 18 plus and they don't have to be around us. They don't live with us. We want them to want to be around us and want to be around each other. Now, here's where this gets tricky. What I've seen is I've seen parents get in trouble because during the authority stages, the the king-queen stage, they don't assert authority. They let kids do whatever they want to do because they want to be liked. And that's based in the short-term emotional neediness of myself. I don't want to feel bad, so I'll let the kid do whatever they want to do. And what happens is parents sort of abdicate responsibility of creating the dynamic in the home and then... The kids become, you know, 12 to 18, and then parents go, well, you're not doing what I want you to do. So it's then that they try to leverage authority, but their authority is diminishing. And they should be leveraging relationship, and what ends up happening is they actually erode influence in the process. That's not what you want. Their kids start acting out in the coaching years, and suddenly they want to buckle down on authority. What you want to do is be able to retain influence. And and here's how you do that, okay? The quality of your friendship is what determines your influence. When you think about influence in the life of your kids, it's not, your influence is not, I'm your dad and I said so, I'm your mom and I said so, you better always, you better never. That's not influence. That's size and position. And there's a season for that when they're younger, that you have to leverage that. But if you don't make the shift at some point to go, no, I'm going to leverage my friendship, what happens is those of us who are parents, as our kids get older, if we still try to influence them using our authority instead of our friendship, we end up losing influence in the process. And at a certain point in adolescence, your kids have already become very familiar with your worldview. They've heard you say it a hundred times. They know your opinions. They don't need your advice. 
as much as they need you to listen to them as they process. That's what they need from you. And the way that you retain influence isn't by giving them all the answers and protecting them from all their problems. That's what authority tries to do. And, and when they're younger, they need that. But when they reach a certain age, your goal is to help them process. The way that you retain influence is by maintaining a good relationship because the quality of your friendship will determine the weight of your influence as they get older. And so that's the tension. Early childhood is based on authority and it's mostly centered on protection. I got to keep you alive. I got to protect you from all that life is throwing at you as a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old. But at a certain point, as they grow, parenting has to shift to being based on relationship and it's mostly centered on influence. And if you don't make that shift, the Apostle Paul says, you will end up provoking your kids to anger. You will exasperate them and you will lose the influence that you ultimately desire. And so how do you do this? How do you provide that guidance and discipline without losing influence in the process? Because you're like, all right, but my kids still need some guidelines, right? Like I can't just be like, hey, we're buddies. Right. So there's this authority, friendship, and then they go like this and they cross over. So where is that tension point and how do we navigate that? Let me give you three things that I think will really help. And these are just things that we've learned over the years. We're not experts at this by any stretch of the imagination. But these are things, if you are currently in a phase of parenting, you can put this into practice this week and this will benefit you. So here it is. Number one, set healthy boundaries. You're like, never heard that before. You're, You're brilliant. I'm shocked. Set healthy boundaries. But here's what that looks like. Retaining influence through relationship doesn't mean that you don't set any boundaries. It doesn't mean that you just let your kids do whatever they want to do. When children are given no boundaries and no discipline, a very strange thing happens. See, they choose to do whatever they want to do, and then they're extremely frustrated when they find themselves unhappy. Isn't that crazy? That's because kids don't always know what's best for themselves. They just don't. They don't have the ability to understand that watching uh, Teen Titans go for 10 hours straight and feasting on Little Debbie snacks is going to make them unhappy. No, no, that doesn't occur to them. It's not in their thought process. My eight-year-old has never come to me and said, Dad, I would love a wholesome family dinner and a routine around bedtime. (laughs) It's never happened. Usually it's more like bedtime is a foreign concept every night. It's like he's never heard of this before. Bed? What's that? I don't want to do that. It's like, we do this every day, dude. But we know from experience, he needs, that's what he needs. There's uh, some great wisdom in the Proverbs. This is written by King Solomon, one of the ancient kings of uh, Israel. And he wrote a whole book called Proverbs. And in it contains all kinds of wisdom that he was passing down to his kids. Here's one of the things that he writes in Proverbs. Discipline your children while there's still hope of influencing their future. So as not to play a part in their destruction. In other words, he says, it's incredibly important that we provide delicate discipline in the lives of our kids because to withhold discipline in their life can actually lead to their destruction. If there's no boundaries whatsoever and they get to do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, it actually leads to a lot of unhappiness. It leads to a lot of strife. It leads to a lot of tension. And it's when kids harm themselves because they don't have the capacity to understand that if I make this decision, it carries this consequence. And so love and discipline go together. You can't love your child if discipline isn't part of the process. Discipline is an act of love. It says, I love you enough to to give you something that's in your best interest long term, even though you may not like me very much in the moment. I want to give them as much freedom as possible. I want to give my kids freedom to become all God's created them to be without sacrificing their future in the process. 
So where's that tension? It's a delicate tension. One practical way to do that uh, is this has been a default setting for us is just start from a position of yes. My default answer, dad, can I, mom, can I, dad, can I, mom, can I, is yes. I want, I want that just to be my go-to, yes. Unless I have a very good reason for it to be no. And if there's a good reason for it to be no, then we'll say no and we'll explain why it's a no. And we'll walk through that together. But biblical discipline isn't punishment, it's encouragement. It's not something you do to your children, it's something you do for your children. The goal isn't to punish them, the goal is to simply instruct them as they grow. So here's another great way that you can do that. You set healthy boundaries, number one, and then number two, you let the consequences do the screaming. This is revolutionary, okay? Let the consequences do the screaming. Can I just tell you something that you probably already know? But I'll just say it anyways. Yelling and screaming at your kids doesn't work. <laughs> what? I, I know. I've tried it a bunch. Trust me. It doesn't work. All right? Uh, it probably does more to erode influence in the life of your kids than it does. You're sacrificing momentary compliance for long-term influence. And I'm telling you, as someone who has a lot of experience yelling at their kids, okay, I'm just telling you, it doesn't work. My kids have never come up to me after I've lost my temper and yelled at them and said, man, I got the message, Dad. Thank you. It was clearly communicated through all the noise. It's never happened. And they'll never hear what you're saying if they're afraid of how you're saying it. And all that happens is that you wound them. When, when we are the ones yelling at our kids, here's the message that we communicate. Calm me down. We communicate this unintentionally when we yell at our kids. My emotions are dependent on your behavior. So I need you to behave in a way that is appropriate. I need you to behave in a way that I expect you to behave. And if you meet my expectations, then I'll stay calm. But if you don't meet my expectations or you behave in a way that I deem as inappropriate, I'm going to lose it. So I'm abdicating responsibility for my emotions to the most immature person in my family. Think about that. And that is not how God wants us to behave as parents. In fact, again, in Proverbs, Solomon writes this, fools are quick to express their anger. And can I tell you, I've been a foolish parent in the past, and I probably will be again. Fools are quick to express their anger, but wise people are patient and control themselves. And I know that you want to be a wise parent and not a foolish parent. And I can tell you, there's been times where I've yelled at my kids, and I realized it, it actually hurt them in the process. And the, if the depth of your relationship determines your influence, yelling and screaming and becoming emotional to somehow get your kids to do what you want them to do is actually going to erode your influence in their life. So you let the consequences do the screaming. You don't have to scream. Let the consequences do the screaming. Here's what that looks like. You side with your kids against their consequences. And you do that with this very simple phrase. It's only two words, and it goes like this. Oh, no. Oh. I'm so bummed. I, I, I hate that you have to pay that speeding ticket. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, man. I'm bummed that you did poorly and you have to retake that test. I'm with you. That, man, that's a drag. That's between you and your teacher. But, man, I'm with you. That, that really sucks. Oh, no. I am so bummed that you're not going to be able to go to that party because we agreed that you would get your chores done and you decided not to get them done. Ah, I hate that for you. (laughs) 
Oh, no. We agreed you'd be home at 11. And it is now 11.38. And we didn't know where you were. And you didn't call. And, you know, I just, that's why we got to the phone. And we all agreed this would be the consequence if you were late for curfew. And, ah, I hate this for you that you're grounded for the next week. Ah. Oh, no. I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset with you. I'm not even punishing you. These are just the, con- like the consequences are doing the screaming, not me. I'm on your side. I'm for you. I'm disappointed with you. But man, this, this is, these are the consequences we all agreed to. I'm for you. I'm not against you. Actually, I'm siding with you. It's me and you against those consequences, buddy. <laughs> We're on the same team here. And I, and I don't want you to face those, but that's why we all agreed to this ahead of time. See, any discipline is about restoration. It's not about retribution. It's not about, I'm going to punish you because you did wrong. It's, hey, you know what? When, when we agreed to these guidelines together and you knew what the consequence was, there was trust established. And when you broke the, when you broke the, the guidelines and decided I'm going to do my own thing, then it eroded trust a little bit. So I want to help us get that back. I want to restore. This is exactly what God did with us. See, the cross of Jesus... Jesus came into our world. The scriptures tell us through many eyewitnesses that Jesus came into our world. He showed us what God is like. He initiated restorative relationship with you and I because we've done some things that we wish we hadn't done and said some things we wish we hadn't said. And that broke relationship with God. And so God sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus comes in. He allows himself to be put to death. His body is laid in a tomb. According to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. And all of that is to invite us back into relationship that we broke. And it's such a great model for parenting. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to punish you. I want to help restore. I want to reestablish broken relationship in spite of what you've done. And so if we can understand these seasons of parenting, the phases of development in the lives of our kids, then we can actually retain influence in their life for later, 18 plus. And can I just tell you something? Later is longer. It's a lot longer. Think about that. From the time they're three to 18 is like 15 years. 15 years where you're the king and queen and where you're the coach and where you're trying to guide and influence and, you know, trying to do all these things. And then 18 plus, you could enjoy 20, 30, 40, 50 years of friendship. Later is longer. Your discipline and training is like 15 years. The amount of time from zero to 15 is nothing compared to the amount of time that they will be 18 plus. So do what you need to do during these seasons so that you can enjoy that long season of later. Now, here's the third thing. This is huge. Affirm identity as you address behavior. Can I just tell you, there is, this is probably the single biggest principle that just transforms our parenting. Because this is what God does with us. God doesn't look at you and go, hey, this is how you behave, so this is how I see you. God first looks at your identity. See, words are very powerful. We remember words that are pointed and positive, but we also remember words that are uh, sharp and scarring. And again, in the book of Proverbs, King Solomon writes these words, and it's such great wisdom, and it applies to parenting and any relationship. Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. How many times have I said something just in a moment, and it it wasn't meant to hurt, it wasn't meant to cause pain, it wasn't meant to wound, but it was thoughtless. And I didn't think it through, And I ended up hurting somebody. I ended up with my words or with my tone. I ended up saying something in a way that hurt someone. And how many times have I done that to my kids? Had to go back and apologize and say, man, I'm sorry. 
I have to own that. But on the flip side of that, Solomon says, wise words can actually bring healing. They can bring healing. And man, the truth is, that's an incredible word picture. When we're careless with our words, we can actually wound our kids. And experience reveals to us that what is written in the Proverbs is actually true. And one of the most common mistakes we make as parents is when we use modifiers to describe our kids. And, and, and we start to build them up because we put labels on our kids that can actually shape our kids. You see this a lot. This is, this is Jill. She's our shy one. As Jill cowers behind mom's leg because she's been introduced that way a thousand times. This is Jimmy. He's our wild child. As Jimmy strikes a match and lights a tree on fire. <laughs> and the truth is, words spoken by parents help shape their identities. And a lot of language that gets directed at kids ends up being around their behavior whether good or bad. And so what happens is we have a whole bunch of adults living in the world today that are attention hungry because they grew up being taught and this is just what they learned because it was modeled by their parents that when they do good things, they get, uh, you know, they get praised. When they do bad things, they get shamed. And so th that's, that becomes the motivation. And the truth is, man, it's a really difficult way to live because our kids are going to fail a lot because we fail a lot. We have to figure out how to affirm their identity as we address the behavior. Now, here's why this matters. The moment you say yes to God, God sent Jesus into this world. He, he sent to go, hey, I, I want to invite you into my family. I, you're my son. You're my daughter. And the moment that you say yes to that, that's, that's who you are in God's eyes. You're his son. You're his daughter. He does not look at all the things that you've done and go, well, that's who you are. You're a sinner, you're, you're, you're a liar, you're a thief. You're, he doesn't say any of those things. He goes, no, you're my son, you're my daughter. That is your identity. It's who I created you to be. He sees us as his children. And he declares all of these beautiful and incredible things about us, even though our behavior has never lined up with those things. Think about that. At one point, the, the Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the, to the Romans, and he says this, uh, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. We're God's children. The minute we become God's children, he says, you're loved, you're righteous, you're without blemish, you're filled with his fullness, on and on and on and on. All these things he declares about us, even though our behavior has never lined up with those things. But we find our identity because we belong to him. And yet, we don't even look at ourselves that way. And yet, God sees in us an identity that he has given us as a part of his family, and he declares it to be true even when our behavior doesn't line up. What an incredible principle when it comes to our own parenting journey. To say, I'm going to affirm identity. I want all of my you are statements to be positive, but I'm going to address behavior. So I want all of my negative statements to be you did. So in other words, when I have a conversation with my kids, I say, man, you are such a smart kid. That's who God created you to be. But this thing that you did, you did not think that through. That's action. That's what you did. I'm going to address your behavior, but I'm going to affirm your identity. God created you with a brilliant mind. I mean, the human brain is unbelievable. But, but what you did, you didn't use it. You didn't think it through. That's not who God created you to be. This is your identity. Hey, you know what? God created you because he loves you. And you're a loving person. He created you to be a loving person. But this thing that you did, it wasn't kind. That wasn't kind. So what you did doesn't line up with who God created you to be. So let's, let's, let's continue to be who God created you to be. You know what? Uh, you are a child of Jesus. 
But what you did, what you said, that doesn't reflect the character of Jesus. And you want your life to reflect the character of Jesus, right? Yeah, I do. Okay, well, that's who you are. But what you did doesn't line up with that. I want to affirm identity as we address behavior. And the contrast between who I am and what I've done is what transforms the child. Because it's what God did with us. It's exactly what God does with us. He piles it all up on the front end. You are holy. You are righteous. You are blameless. You're my child. But what you've done isn't consistent with who I've created you to be. And when we recognize the grace in that, it causes us to transform, to trust him, to, to trust our Heavenly Father's influence. And at the end of the day, that's what we want to do with our own kids. We want, to, we want to retain influence in the lives of our kids in a way that helps not just protect them from life, but prepare them for life. And we can do that by setting healthy boundaries, letting the consequences do the screaming, and then affirm their identity even as we address their behavior. And folks, that's what God does with us. He sent Jesus into this world. He looked at you, he looked at me, and our behavior didn't line up, but he said, that's not who I created you to be. You're my son and you're my daughter. I'm inviting you into this family. And so if you have never said yes to the invitation to be a part of God's family, I want you to know you're invited. And it isn't based on what you've done. It isn't, you can't church attend your way into it. You don't behave your way into it. It's just who God created you to be. He wants you to align your life around the identity for which you were created. If you've never said yes to that, I want to invite you. You can say yes right now. And all you have to do is agree with this simple prayer as we close. Let's pray. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. And I pray, I thank you that you've never walked away from me. And I want to say yes to your invitation to make me your son, make me your daughter. That is my identity. And now help me to trust you as my heavenly father. Help me to put my trust in your way of living. And God, I pray for every one of us Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, coaches, teachers, all of us who interact with kids on any level, God, give us the wisdom to affirm identity even as we address behavior. Help us to retain influence so that we can set the anchor of your love deep in the heart of our kids. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.